Welcome to Unabridged, the weekly podcast where teachers take on books. We're your hosts. I'm Sarah, and I'm here today with Jen and Ashley. This is Ashley. We'll chat about our Unabridged Book Club's pick of the month, recommend related books, and share our nerdy English teacher love of reading with our Unabridged highlights and with short episodes featuring targeted topics. To follow along with our schedule, visit our website, unabridgedpod.com, where the books we read are linked for purchase. You want opinions about books? We've got them. Hello, everyone. We are here today with a highlight episode on one of our favorite YA authors, Lori Hall Sanderson. Before we get started, however, we want to remind you to go to your podcast app, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. That helps us so much. It helps new listeners find us and it helps just grow the podcast. So we would really appreciate it if you could do that. In addition, we have some exciting news. We are going to be offering teaching guides on Teachers Pay Teachers for some of the books that we read and discuss on the podcast. And we are going to have one available for Speak. So you can go, just head over to unabridgedpod.com and we will have all of that information and links to our Teachers Pay Teachers store. Well, let's get started. So first, we are just going to be talking about Lori Haas Anderson work in general. Her work includes realistic fiction, memoir, and historical fiction. But today we are going to focus on some of her realistic fiction and her brand new memoir, Shout, that came out in March. Anderson is a YA writer. She's particularly gifted in just writing about social issues that affect teens and presenting all of that information in an accessible way. And I think that's what we all admire about her work. So let's just get started. I'm going to ask my co-hosts here a couple of questions, and then we'll just discuss in general her work. One of the big things about her, her work in just the community in general is that some of it has been deemed too dark mm -hmm. for teens or they've been censored just because of the issues that they, kind of, that they broach and talk about. What do you all think about that? So <laughs> I think her work plays an important role in allowing teens. It's the whole mirror and window thing. So I think teens who have experienced some of these social issues or are working their way through some of these struggles that she describes, it's really important for them to see themselves reflected and to see characters who are able to find their way out of those problems. And I think for students who haven't experienced them, just having that empathetic view of their classmates can be really powerful. I will say I had heard about Speak and had read that a long time ago. And then I'm sort of a latecomer to the rest of her work. A couple years ago, I read The Impossible Knife of Memory for the first time. And every new work I've read by her, it, she just astonishes me in the way she can realistically portray teenagers and just... I articulate their experience so clearly without making it seem neat or easy or as if she's pandering to her audience. And I definitely think she's writing for teens. Yeah, yeah I think that in general, all of us advocate for getting books about real things in mm -hmm. the kids' hands, even if that makes adults uncomfortable. And I think that's true because all of us in our classrooms and in our lives have had kids who needed those mm -hmm. books for exactly mm -hmm. the reasons that Jen was saying. 
And I think that while we can't take away all of the problems that kids face, we certainly can help them be better equipped to handle those problems by having those hard conversations and by giving them resources like books that show them their experiences. Um, Yeah, and I was just thinking about the censorship, a quote that had really stood out for me from Shout is when she says, censorship is the child of fear, the father of ignorance, and the desperate weapon of fascists everywhere. And I think that is really powerful because a lot of times people want to censor things thinking that they're protecting someone, Mm -hmm. but a lot of times even the people who have good intentions don't realize that what they're actually doing is often furthering the problems by not giving kids what they need when they're already facing those situations. Mm -hmm. So reading about rape, for example, does not mean that you are more likely to be raped. So Mm -hmm. it just means that you have an idea of what could play out Mm -hmm. in that situation. And so I think, which again helps with empathy, like Jen said before, Mm -hmm. or if unfortunately that has been an experience, any level of sexual assault has been an experience for a a kid than to read a book in which somebody works through that and finds support and stands up makes a big difference in that student's life so or in that child's life and another oh sorry really fast another quotation that stood out and shout again she wrote the opposite of innocence is strength Mm -hmm. and i thought that just plays into what ashley was saying that people feel like innocence is this thing that we have to protect in our children and there's a story in shout about this principal who's protecting his children so much that he doesn't want laurie hall sanderson to speak so he pulls the fire alarm and gets all the kids out of the building. And so the idea that he thinks, unless they read this book, they, they just have no idea that these things are happening in the world, is first of all ridiculous, but second of all, enabling them to know what's there, empowering them mm-hmm. is much more important than protecting a false sense of innocence. But, sorry, Sarah, go ahead. Oh, no, that's okay. <laughs> I was just going to say, I do think that, Speak is 20 years old. Mm-hmm. It's celebrating its 20th anniversary which that is unbelievable to me but I do think that when it speak first came out I mean it was one of the first books of its kind Mm -hmm. talking Mm -hmm. so frankly about like sexual assault and and really catering to a younger audience Mm -hmm. to help bring awareness and I think that we're really fortunate to have authors like Lori Hall Sanderson that it that who she was willing at a time when other people were not Mm -hmm. to write about these hard topics I think we're really fortunate today that there are tons of great books that are like you said windows and mirrors for our students Um, but that Lori Hall Sanderson what I'm trying to say is that the censorship I think was more maybe Mm -hmm. like for like a little bit in the past but I still think it happens and that people are are eager sometimes to take things that might be uncomfortable for them to discuss with their children. Mm -hmm. And even teachers do that as well. Um, Eager to take things that might be uncomfortable to discuss just to avoid that topic. Mm -hmm. But I think we know from reading the news and being aware that these things are happening to our kids and they need to know how to be advocates for themselves. Mm -hmm. I just get so frustrated. Well, This does not need to be a censorship rant, but I just think it amazes me that 
I think parents have the right to make decisions for their own children, Mm -hmm. but it always amazes me that they feel privileged enough to try to make decisions for other people's children. And so, yeah, I, I don't know if we need to say we are against censorship, but we are against (laughs) censorship. I just think it is utterly ridiculous to say that a book can cause one of these problems because reading about it will make you do it. So, yeah. Yeah. And I, feel like for teachers and librarians and people who are helping students access books that are being challenged that a lot of times having those conversations can be uncomfortable Mm -hmm. but they're worth having Mm -hmm. and so you know I do think we have to think about how to I mean so in my syllabus for example I said things like I put books on my shelf that reach all mm-hmm. kinds of students. And that doesn't mean that every book is right for your child. And you are welcome to read along with them. But I have not pre-read every book that they mm-hmm. will read. And I am not planning to start pre-reading or pre-approving mm-hmm. every book that a child selects. It's my job to help kids want to read. And so I think we do have to kind of navigate yeah. those waters and figure out how to manage it. But it is worth doing that and I also think going to with what you were saying Sarah about it being 20 years old it was interesting reading it now because I think I mean you can tell times where she was dancing around the curse word mm-hmm. for example because she clearly couldn't put it in there right and I think that has changed dramatically so there are still books that are being challenged but a lot of those have gone quite a bit beyond just as far as explicit language, mm-hmm. explicit scenes, those kinds of things, which again, our students are seeing, they're aware of yeah. them, they're seeing them in real life, they're seeing them on the internet, they've heard all the words, but to see them in books means that we're in a different place for sure mm-hmm. than we were when Speak came out. Yeah. So. And I should say, I did not, so when I was teaching books whole class, I always told my students that if they felt uncomfortable with a book, they could tell me and I would find a replacement. So it wasn't like I had no sympathy for the fact that some kids just don't feel ready to confront some issues or maybe they are in a place where it's so sensitive because it happened to someone close to them that they feel like they can't read it. But I think, again, that decision on behalf of everyone else's children, that was just always really infuriating to me in particular. We were lucky enough to see Lori Hall Anderson at the Virginia Festival of the Book. And she, for one, I think that you know if you listen to our episode when we talk about that experience, if you have the chance to see her talk about her work in person, it is a truly remarkable and unique experience. But she talked about her activism and she even had on a shirt that said, stand up, speak out. Um, A book resist, Mm -hmm. a book, I mean, sorry, (laughs) a t-shirt that said that while she was talking with us. And I just wondered, uh, you're just your all's general thoughts on her as an author. And then since we've gotten to see her in person, what, I don't know, if there is anything that you wanted to talk about regarding that. Yeah, I mean, I think I was just really impressed that she was such a real person mm-hmm. in front of all of these people she didn't know and that she was able to speak from her heart and speak the truth and talk about hard things mm-hmm. in a room of hundreds of people which and I'm sure she does it all the time mm-hmm. but I think not only to share her own most vulnerable and painful experiences with the world for the purpose of helping other people heal mm-hmm. but then also to be able to articulate that in front of people is remarkable so I did I had read several of her books and I really loved them but I was so impressed with 
the intention behind her books and the thoughts that she has put into mm-hmm. how important it is to have those hard conversations. And I think I've seen that in the books, but then it was just really powerful to see her speak so plainly mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. things that we in society so often try so hard to avoid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one thing. Um, now that I've started seeing authors speak more because of the National Book Festival and things like the Virginia Festival of the Book, I think YA authors and middle grade authors in particular do such a good job of articulating the purposes for their writing and of what they think they can do for their young readers. And I think they just have such clear messages that they're trying to communicate and such empathy for the difficult struggles that a lot of teens have and that they really want to help them feel seen mm-hmm. and to give them a place. Like I just loved hearing her and Jason Reynolds, but they spoke together at the Virginia festival of the book. Talk about what kids have told them and the conversations that they've had with, with children, because I think it, it just shows that they listen. That was one of my favorite parts of shout as well was when she said, you know, students would tell her these things, and then she got the idea to write this book. She talks about all these seeds for her different novels that a lot of them came out of either her own experiences or conversations she had with kids and ways that she saw kids have experiences that they weren't seeing reflected or needs that they that weren't being met. And so I just think her empathy and her clarity of purpose are both astonishing. I agree. Well, let's talk a little bit about her memoir, Shout, that just came out in March. We've all read it, obviously, and loved it. So a little bit about the book. Um, it's this moving and personal memoir in verse. Anderson recounts experiences from her childhood, the rape that she experienced as a teen, the long, slow recovery process after the trauma, and the many impactful experiences she's had with sexual assault survivors since writing Speak. Told in a series of poetic images, this memoir demonstrates her talent and her impact on others through her social activism and her determination to stand up for speaking truth and having open discussions about hard topics. I think that we're going to use this as the base. We're going to talk the most about Shout, and then we're going to talk about a couple of her other books that that you can clearly see an inspiration for in what she talks about in Shout. I hope that 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 seemed a little wordy, but I think makes hopefully you understand what I meant. (laughs) (laughs) So I think we're going to start with Shout and talk about it. And then we'll just speak briefly about a couple of her YA novels because Shout is actually a memoir and it is targeted more toward an older audience. In my Mm -hmm. opinion, what did you all think of that book? I loved it. I just, it's her first book in verse, which I thought was amazing because I thought that the verse was truly just gorgeous. She's just a master. And and her writing in all of her books, even her prose, I think is quite poetic. But the verse I thought was stunning. And I think, so one of the things that struck me most was the grace she extended her family because her parents really weren't always focused on supporting her when she was clearly going through a difficult time. And I thought she, as an adult, I think this is one of the reasons it makes it seem like it's maybe not for a YA audience, because I think it's so clear that she now understands where her parents were coming from and really accepts that they were humans who had weaknesses and maybe couldn't be there 
But I also think that the fact that she had so little support when she was recovering from her rape was heartbreaking. And to see her struggle through and really through a couple of chance encounters was able to claw her way out. But they were things like she chose to walk down the back hall of her school and someone told her she should play sports, which ended up being this thing that kind of made her rejoin society and kind of made her go to class so then she had the grades so she could participate and you think if she just hadn't walked down that hallway would she have found this thing that became such a source of strength and that made her appreciate her body and her own strength yeah so I just it was those little things that she noticed and that she looking back is like oh this was one of those things that got me through but in the in the time I'm sure it just seemed like the course of every day yeah it it's she just has that poet's eye for small details and for empathy for people who – I was frustrated with her parents some of the time because, yeah, they had problems, but I also think she's their kid and you take care of your kids first. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know where to go from there. but Yeah, are- I think it was interesting to me – we'll talk about the impers- impossible knife of memory mm-hmm. later – But having read Shout and then revisiting The Impossible Knife of Memory, I thought it was really interesting to see that it's dedicated to her father. Mm -hmm. And I think that helps me understand a lot about the grace that she extends Mm -hmm. to him and to her mother because I think she she speaks so gently Mm -hmm. about – and just – intimately about PTSD and the impossible knife of memory that then to think that she has that rich of an understanding of what that is like helps me understand how she can look back with grace on her experience with her parents but absolutely I mean I the part where her dad made her mom's teeth Mm -hmm. all loose in her mouth I mean Mm -hmm. I think like that 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 kind of abuse and then the ways that they silenced everything all the time is a different kind of Mm -hmm. suffering and so I think her speaking about that helps helps the reader understand how a teen in that environment doesn't say anything Mm -hmm. about something so traumatic that happened and so yeah I mean I think that it is hard for the reader to not feel that she was all alone, like yeah. the, that no one should be alone in that situation. But I think that she does a great job of showing the different sides of the situation. Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree with all that. <laughs> we can't, we I can't feel like leaving it... Sarah out. <laughs> no, no. Out that, that's here. okay. I, I mean, I, I, I think, you know, that you, you covered it beautifully. <laughs> uh, but I mean, as I was reading Shout, in my mind, I'm, I was like, oh, there's Andy. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's Melinda. From her other books, um, from Speak and from The Impossible Knife of Memory. Mm-hmm. And I even thought some of the friendships reminded me of Winter Girl. So I, she does such a good job in her books. I guess when I read her book, books for the first time, her YA books, I didn't really, I thought that she made these really rich characters, but I didn't realize that, that they were clearly inspired mm-hmm. by her not necessarily they weren't autobiographical, mm-hmm. but that they were inspired by events in her own life mm-hmm. because she writes hard stuff and it's mm-hmm. it's sometimes not easy to read. Yeah. And to know that that is inspired by our own life made it even more meaningful to me 
having mm-hmm. been a fan of hers for mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought before we kind of concluded our discussion on Shout, maybe we could each share a quote or small section that we really liked in the book because it's just such beautiful poetic language. Mm-hmm. And so I just thought we could each share a quote because I know book dart lady over here on my left, <laughs> Jen, she probably has 255,000 quotes. I got a lot of quotes. <laughs> the quote that I wanted to share is this. She snapped, they said, couldn't take it anymore, reached her breaking point. We should teach our girls that snapping is okay instead of waiting for someone else to break them. And I think that what stands out this to me is having a daughter and knowing knowing sometimes what society places on women and how they should behave. I just hope that my daughter knows and that when these horrible things happen to girls and women that it is okay to stand up and it is okay to snap and it is okay to fight and I think that that's what Lori Hawes Anderson does so well is she is able to speak to these young women who might not have someone who is there telling them that it is okay to be strong and to fight back. Mm -hmm. And I really appreciate that as a mother and as a woman too. Yeah. I think that that probably is what has stayed with me the most having seen her speak and then reading several books in succession is that message. Um, I wanted to share one that was a little bit different from, from what we've talked about thematically, but that I think is really also a thread running through shout. And this is, about she talks a lot about poverty and about growing up poor and how like one that stood out to me was when she goes to tea to have the tea with the girl that she thinks is going to be her friend and she puts in the lemon and the cream at the same time and it curdles Mm -hmm. the tea and the girl instead of acting graciously mocks her for it and she realizes they're not going to be friends and so I think it's those dividing lines that separate people Mm -hmm. so often and that are so hard to navigate when you are young and so I think that is really powerful throughout but in this section she says rich people scorn the way the poor buy lottery tickets but what would you pay for an hour of untainted hope of happiness unfettered and then she goes on to say if the ticket had my mother's name on it I'd dance across minefields for the chance And I just think, like, I mean, it's really powerful. And again, I think what I like so much about the book is the way that she speaks about a lot of different types of things. Because, like, what Mm -hmm. she's saying there is, like, they're not buying a lottery ticket. They're buying hope. Mm -hmm. And they're buying this moment of feeling the anticipation that something could work out. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's really powerful. And I also think that she connects that to that thread that we've already talked about with her parents and that wanting to connect back to them, even though their relationship was clearly so fraught. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really remarkable about love. Yeah. This one, actually Jason Reynolds shared when we saw them speak, but I thought this was very powerful. I am often distracted, diverted from my path when I explore old wounds. It's a defensive reaction, a way to modulate my feelings and cope with the discomfort, like telling jokes at a funeral. Not appropriate, but less damaging than gin. Too many grown-ups tell kids to follow their dreams, like that's going to get them somewhere. Auntie Lori says, follow your nightmares instead, because when you figure out what's eating you alive, you can slay it. 
And I think that is what her books are about. They are about confronting the ugliness that can happen, but knowing that you are powerful enough to slay that ugliness and to make its place in your life smaller than it ha- than it maybe seems like it has to be at first. And I think that there's such bravery in that. It reminds me, this is maybe random, but it reminds me of In Just Mercy when Brian Stevenson talks so much about confronting the ugliness in our society because that's the only way to eradicate it. And so I just think more and more I've so come to appreciate authors who are confronting the ugliness and they're not trying to mask it and they're not trying to make it beautiful. They're acknowledging it and then finding a way to work through to the other side. And so I think Laurie Hall Sanderson is brilliant at that. And the way she encourages kids to do that too, I think is amazing. Yeah. And I thought it was really interesting at the end of speak, there are the questions and answers. And she talks about how Melinda came to her in a dream and she was crying and she had this whole memory, like her, the dream was trying to figure out who was crying and she realized it was, it wasn't her children and it was tracing back to that dream. And so I think, you know, that speaks to how she saw that, I mean, that was a nightmare for her and she had to uncover Melinda's story and how she wound up in that situation where she felt so desperate. And so I think that's really lovely, those connections. I mean, again, just speaking to both her life experience and the larger message that she is able to articulate mm-hmm. that it brings. Yeah. Those were great quotes. I, I They give me goosebumps. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think that we're going to transition into just, just talking briefly about speak the Impossible Knife of Memory and Winter Girls, three of her YA novels that they are not in verse. They are they are mm-hmm. just regular novels for young adults, but they still carry some of the themes that Shout mm-hmm. carries. So the first one we're going to talk about is Speak, and I would say that that's probably the book that that catapulted her into yeah. this arena in my opinion mm-hmm. or it, it is a, it is at least the book that made me aware of laurie hall sanderson as an author same yeah mm-hmm. so speaks tells the story of melinda she's a ninth grader who is sexually assaulted by an older classmate in the aftermath of the assault melinda loses her ability to speak and to participate in her day-to-day life really mm-hmm. so what i guess i think what we could talk about is what stood out to you the most about this particular novel? So I read the novel itself a while back, but I recently reread it in the form of the graphic novel, which I would recommend. I think it's stunning. And I think it does such a good job illuminating um, Melinda's loneliness, the way the art is situated on the page. That's something I think Ashley was talking about earlier, just that loneliness that you don't want someone who's a victim to feel as if she's alone, but the images make it so clear that she is isolated from everyone and that there is no one there to, to help her work her way through her, her tragedy. And there's an art project at the center of the book that I vaguely remembered from the novel, but because it's a graphic novel that is just beautiful on the page. And so you sort of see this contrast between the ugliness of what's happening in her life and then the beauty of the way she's creating this piece of art sort of out of that negative experience. So, yeah, I I don't know that I'd say to read it instead of the novel Mm because I hesitate to do that. Um, But 
the graphic novel is well worth taking a look at if you've if you've read the book already. So I think one thing that stood out to me about Speak is just the accessibility of it. So if people wanted to use it in the classroom, I think that it is something that can be taught in lit circles or yeah. whole class. Mm-hmm. It does not have, it's not, like, again, it's not nearly as controversial as a lot of the other mm-hmm. books that are out for YA now, but it gives a chance to have conversations about things like assault, things like consent, things like the trauma that is experienced by people who are victims of assault. Mm-hmm. And so I think that is really powerful and also can be approached even whole class. Mm-hmm. So I really like that. And I thought that it also was striking to me the connection between, like Jen said, about the art, the connection between the fact that you can experience something really traumatic and that that trauma can, in fact, bring about something really beautiful. Mm -hmm. And I think that is something that artists know to be true and that people know to be true, but that a lot of times for teens who are experiencing any kind of trauma and who feel so alone, that it's not always easy for them to see that what makes you who you are is often these trials that you face that are really awful Mm -hmm. to go through. And so I think that that part about the tree, the art project that she's working on is really amazing. And I think that when Melinda first makes that sculpture with like the chicken bones and the, um, you know, the, it's sort of like a body hollowed out Mm -hmm. that that image, when she sees people see it and find it both, beautiful and also disturbing Mm -hmm. it's like she comes to understand something about herself that she did not know Mm -hmm. existed until creating the product that then other people can see and interact with and I think that's really powerful that journey of self-discovery is really amazing and can help kids who are facing any kind of hard situation know that while I don't think it's sugarcoating in any way that it is true that those, these good things can come about somewhat because of the bad. Mm-hmm. The way you just framed that reminded me of my Angelou's I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings, and she also was sexually assaulted and also did not speak for a while after, and what brings her out is also art. It's the spoken word. And so, yeah, I think that, first of all, it would make a great pairing in your classroom. That book, I will say, is, I would say, more explicit than speak. But and and longer and it deals with a, a whole array of issues. But I think just considering the place of art and recovery, you could you could do an excerpt anyway. Something unique about the 20th anniversary edition of Speak that just came out a couple months ago is that it has an afterword by Jason Reynolds and also a Q&A with Lori Hall Sanderson. And if you listen to the audio, Jason Reynolds reads his afterword, which is really powerful because he's speaking to young men. And the Q&A with Anderson is actually, she, someone reads the question and she answers the questions in her own voice, which I've always feel like adds mm-hmm. something to the words. And I think it's a really worthwhile, it's worthwhile to get the 20th anniversary edition so you can read those things, but I think it's also worthwhile to mm-hmm. listen to the audio because it's just, it's beautiful. And she, and it makes the, It freshens up the book because, like I said before, the book's 20 years old, so it gives a little bit more of a current feel to the book, and I think it's worth it. Mm -hmm. Did you all read the afterword? Yes, I listened to it, and I really loved 
I mean, Reynolds's afterward is just so powerful mm-hmm. because I think it speaks to how these things have come about in society and some of the basic assumptions that maybe we shouldn't need to say out loud, but that he highlights the fact that we do have to say them out loud because even though it sounds apparent verbally, all these messages in our society are suggesting they're not true. And so, you know, he starts it by saying women are not furniture. That is a message that he got from his mom as a teenager when he was becoming sexually active. And, you know, he talks about how like that message should be apparent, but it's not because in society so often women are, you know, through music, through movies, through all of these pop culture messages are being shown as a way, particularly when you're thinking about the lens of a teenage boy, Mm -hmm. they are being shown that women are there for their pleasure. And so I just think that that's a really powerful message. And then coupled with that, she talks a lot about in the Q&A about how a lot of young men have come to her and, and asked what's the big deal Mm -hmm. basically and i think you know and she said at first she was horrified but then she came to understand that they really did not know they Mm -hmm. did not understand the impact it could have on the woman or man who is being assaulted because a lot of times those lines are very complex there's a lot of shades of gray Mm -hmm. and so even though in speak it is very apparent and then what happened to laurie hall sanderson herself that she speaks to and shout it is very apparent that the the perpetrator was completely in the wrong and that it was outright rape. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the conversations that we're having with the Me Too movement and with discussion of consent have to do with these much more complex shades of gray that have to be discussed outright mm-hmm. because if they're not discussed outright, how does anyone know? Mm-hmm. I do not have the 20th anniversary edition <laughs> of Speak. <laughs> However... This did make me think of a moment in Shout. There's a a verse where she's trying to figure out what to call a group of boys. And she ends with, the collective noun I'm seeking is curiosity. We have a curiosity of boys waiting on the truth. And when their questions go unanswered, the suffering begins for an anguish of victims. And so I think that just, that that's what she's seeking to do is to answer those questions and to try to make those gray areas less gray. For boys who will ask the question, what did he do wrong? She's saying, don't avoid the answer. You have to give them the answer so that then they can start acting on the right information. Yeah, and you can't just be appalled by the right. fact that they asked the question. Mm-hmm. Because, right. again, I think that's another thing that goes wrong yes. as we shut down some of these important discussions by our reactions as adults, even though we don't necessarily mean for that to be mm-hmm. the outcome. We often don't know what to say right? Mm-hmm. and are horrified by the question when – yeah, it's our it's our duty to find a way and to answer the question, even if the question is hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great <laughs> being the mother of a son and a daughter. Mm-hmm. I'm very nervous. Yeah, <laughs> I've already I mean, started just, trying to talk to my yeah. boys about things like that. Like, yeah, I mean, sometimes I think I go too far. But the other day, one of them was tickling the other, and he kept saying, "Stop, stop, stop!" Mm-hmm. And I said. When someone tells you to stop touching their body, you stop touching their body. And then I thought, oh, my gosh, that was probably an overreaction. But I just feel like. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've been these, saying that with our children since yeah, they were born. I just mm-hmm. think that there are these things that soon. seem so early mm-hmm. and so neither one had bad intentions. But then I think how easily 
there's a book, I'll try to look it up so we can put it in show notes, about this boy who it's from his perspective and he has raped this girl and the entire book, he is just in complete denial because he loves her so much and how could he ever hurt someone he loves? And I just think how easy it is to rationalize your own behavior and how important it is to start early finding ways to combat that. So the book is Chris Lynch's Inexcusable. Yeah, that, that makes me think of a children's book that I read to my kids when I was younger. Uh, not when I, <laughs> when they were Jesus. younger. No, you, you were also. When I was I was younger, but <laughs> more they importantly, were, they were younger. <laughs> we were all younger. <laughs> but it is a really good book about teaching about consent and setting boundaries. And the book is called Hugopotamus, and it's about this little hippo who wants to hug everyone and no, but but he hugs at the wrong times. Mm-hmm. So he, he wants to hug the, his friends when they're playing a game or doing different, doing activities. And he is always wanting to hug. And I mean, it's so simple, but mm-hmm. it is a really good way to teach kids and to talk about the importance of consent mm-hmm. at a young age. Mm-hmm. And I think that those types of tools for parents and teachers are really important and being aware of them will help us all become better you know, humans and mm-hmm. citizens and better with each other. Um, the last thing that I was going to mention related to that is just that it's talking about talking to our kids at early ages is that my children's school is doing, is working with a local program. Well, the local program is called the Collins Center, but then they have a, a sexual education program that they do related to sex and gender for young kids, it's called Care for Kids, and that's a more, you know, national program. Um, but we will be releasing a short bonus episode to go with this. That just I, my husband and I went to that before they came to talk to our kids, just so that we would know more about what the program is like. And it was just she just gave a lot of really great, very clear information about things that we can do to help our kids better take care of their own bodies, have better respect for their own bodies and understand better what boundaries are. And so I just thought it was really informative. So we will, we hope to share that with you all as a bonus episode um, because it is not exactly book related, but is she, she does have some books that you can reference like the Hugopotamus. She mm-hmm. has some books that she thinks are good for kids, but more importantly, I just thought there were some tips that we as a community could just be more aware mm-hmm. of that help us know better how to address those issues as they come up and how to make it a more integral part of the conversation. And I just think what stood with me that Laurie Hall Sanderson said in Charlottesville was that she gave this example about how often we remind kids to put on their safety mm. belt in the car. And she just said, we tell them that over and over and over again. We tell them every day. We tell them every time they get in the car. And that is how often we need to have these conversations about these hard topics because that is what's going to bring about change. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's really stayed with me. Is like the things that I think are the messages that our kids are really going to understand and hear and embody themselves are the things that we make an integral part of our conversations and so yeah I mean I think like you were saying Jen sometimes it seems overly dramatic but I I mean that kind of stuff like with the tickling and the stop like I think what we always say is if you want it like if you say stop it means stop Mm -hmm. and if you want it to happen again (laughs) this is gonna sound this goes sexually and not but you know if you want it to happen again then you have to ask again then you say again again and you see an infant do that Mm -hmm. that they are laughing 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 but then when they're saying stop that 
we all have to interpret that to mean mm-hmm. stop and that they invite more if they want to keep going. Mm-hmm. Like if it's fun for them, then they can encourage that. And I think that that really is important, that those conversations are important to have and for kids to feel empowered. And I mean, my daughter sometimes throws that stuff in our face and she mm-hmm. says, my body is my body. And, <laughs> and I say, well, yes, that is true. And I'm going to help you make good choices mm-hmm. about your body. But you know, that message has been very clear to her from a very mm-hmm. early age, and we want that. So even though I think sometimes it can feel overly dramatic mm-hmm. or it can be um, misconstrued at convenient moments for right. the child, it still is worth it, I think, for them to, you know, hopefully, exactly what you were saying, Sarah, that hopefully that there she's going to feel strong and she's mm-hmm. going to feel courageous and she's going to feel empowered to say, say what she means and mm-hmm. to be able to stand up for herself and what she knows is right. Well, let's move on and just briefly talk about the impossible knife of memory and winter girls. The first one, the impossible knife of memory centers around Haley. She's been homeschooled while traveling with her truck driver, father, Andy, for the past several years. She's now back in her hometown, attending public school, living in her deceased grandmother's house and dealing with her father's PTSD and her own attempts to find her way in her high school mm-hmm. co- and in her high school community and in her own just community at large. This one is probably the most recent of the ones that we're talking about besides shout, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I really thought that, I thought this was really well done. I thought that Haley, the main character, was really believable. She was, she seemed authentic in her reactions. And I just really felt like you felt her struggle and her love for her, both Mm -hmm. her love for her dad and her frustration with him not being able to, quote unquote, pull himself out of Mm -hmm. his depression. Mm -hmm. But I thought that, um, again, here Anderson gave a really accurate depiction of how post-traumatic stress disorder affects people and their loved ones. Mm -hmm. What did you all think? Yeah. And reading and rereading for this episode, this was my favorite of her YA novels. I just thought this was my second time through this one. And I was struck again. She deals with a lot of different issues in this book, but it doesn't feel like She's hitting you over the head with them. It just feels as if these people are real people and they have real struggles and their struggles are different. And the fact that they're not unloading them on each other from the beginning, that there are things that they are keeping very private and not wanting to share immediately until they build up trust felt very authentic. I loved her relationship with Finn, who is just this great first friend and then romantic interest that she meets at the school and her friendship with Gracie. Yeah, I just thought the subtlety with which all of those are developed and you see none of the relationships is perfect, but all of them have a big influence on Haley as she is struggling with all those things you were talking about, Sarah, and and also trying to recapture. So there are a lot of things from her childhood that she just doesn't remember because of trauma. And so she's sort of struggling to rega- she's struggling to figure out her identity now, but also to figure out who she used to be. And so I think watching that whole process was fascinating. Yeah, Anderson is just amazing. Mm-hmm. The book's so good. Yeah, I agree with Jen's assessment that this one is my favorite of the ones that I've read of her YA novels. 
And I think it's because of the level of sophistication mm-hmm. in the writing and the development of the characters. So I've, yeah, I, I like all of the ones that we're talking about, but this one I think has the most complexity as mm-hmm. far as the way that all of the layers fit together. And so I really love that. But I think what really stood out to me, having read it a while ago, when I think about what I remember is just that while we, and I thought about this a lot because we had Memorial Day recently, mm-hmm. while we pay homage to veterans, we want it to fit cleanly in a mm-hmm. certain type of honor. And I know that... Andy in the book is not the only veteran I know who has a profoundly hard time related to the holidays that we very purposefully have created to honor them. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that is really powerful because it shows the complexities of that situation and what honor looks like and how we really show our soldiers and our veterans that we care about them Mm -hmm. and our society and how it's not as clean and as neat as I think that people outside of the military community mm-hmm. want it to be. And so I just really appreciate that because I think that's really complicated. And then I also think, like you said in the beginning, Sarah, just the impact of something like PTSD on everyone involved, that he is such a caring father and he is he is so loving toward Haley and he wants so much for her to have stability and happiness. But then if he doesn't have the help that he needs and he's not able to take some steps that he needs to take to be there for her all the mm-hmm, time, that, mm-hmm. that that's going to be hard for everybody. So I just think, yeah, like you said, Jen, just all the friendship relationships. Mm-hmm. I love her relationship with Finn. I think all that gets into some real complexities of being human and trying to navigate our relationships with each other that are really amazing. So the last one we're going to talk about briefly is Winter Girls, and this one centers on Leah, and she and Cassie are best friends. They are also adversaries in this race, deadly race, to see who can be the thinnest. Mm -hmm. When Cassie dies, Leah suffers the loss and the guilt from not being able to save her. The reader is taken taken on Leah's journey of pain, grief, and the search for what it takes to heal. Mm -hmm. And unlike my counterparts, this is my favorite Mm -hmm. of Lori Hall Sanderson's novel. The reason is I just think she captures Leah's mental mental Mm -hmm. struggle so perfectly. And just this internal battle with a demon that she does, that she can't control. And I think that also... Anderson nails uh, the the way in which Leah tries to control her life mm-hmm. when things are out of control on the out on the outside she tries to internally control what she consumes and then it consumes her I just think that she that it is just so accurate and one of my favorite devices that Anderson uses in the novel is often she'll have Leah think something and then think something else but then it's struck through with mm-hmm. lines and one of those one of those paragraphs in the novel is um I burn my fingertips pulling the muffins out of the oven and that is 
that is not struck through. The rest of this is struck through. They want to jump in my mouth. No, they want to roll themselves in butter and honey and jump into my mouth. One, two, three, four. And then some moose tracks, ice cream, and then some graham crackers and a jar of chocolate frosting and three bags of popcorn. And I just think that she really nails the, the binging and the purging, the um, starvation, the obsession with exercise. She just does a really good job. So for me, this is my favorite of her books because I think it I think this came at a time when there was not a lot of information or um, accessible reading material out for girls about eating disorders and representation of girls who are struggling with that. And so that is why I just think this is a phenomenal book and the fa- my favorite of hers. Yeah, I I loved this one. I think part of it for me is this one's not quite as fresh as the others that we're discussing today. But I do think the other thing that I think is really powerful is how people are trying to help her, but not in the right ways. Right. And I think that's so accurate yes. to eating disorder. I'm people who are struggling with eating disorders. I think that it is difficult to know how to help. Yep. And people often go about it the wrong way. Yeah, because I think that even, I mean, she really, in a lot of ways has, you know, she has this great relationship with her stepsister, Emma, Mm -hmm. but then even like with her stepmom, she Mm -hmm. has a good relationship, but she's able to, and again, it's all like, I think that Anderson does a great job of showing that from her perspective, nothing is more important than maintaining control. Mm -hmm. And so she'll do whatever it takes to maintain control. And so some of the things that, jennifer is trying to do to help her mm-hmm. aren't sufficient mm-hmm. because she's not jennifer's not coming from the perspective of thinking leah's going to do whatever it takes yeah. to maintain control over this thing that we as the readers can see is totally out of control mm-hmm. and of course like i think also just the way that grief and the trauma of losing cassie mm-hmm. plagues her furthers her spiral right yeah which makes sense but is also you know hard for like it's hard to watch that happen and see that people are not able to reach her Mm -hmm. in so many ways when i think like with eating disorders i I might have said this on the podcast before but often i mean you can't you have to think of it as an addiction and Mm -hmm. like the spiraling and it getting worse and worse and with an addict you can take someone to rehab or you can take them somewhere and separate themselves from the substance Mm -hmm. even though that we know from dope sick and our studying dope sick that it often is not successful Mm -hmm. but there's a way that you can separate them but you can't separate a human being from food Mm -hmm. for 90 days or whatever it is so i think it's hard for people to shove it down yeah the same way i mean yeah Yeah. so it's just like feeding tubes aren't going to get people back to recovery meaning Mm -hmm. that they can sustain on their own Mm -hmm. So like any of those methods, I think you're right that even if there are extreme methods that can be taken, those are not right lasting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, sorry. So we we kind of skipped over Jen. Oh, that's okay. Jen, what did you um, think? Th- so this was my first time through this book, and I, I found it to be quite powerful. Uh, I think my favorite parts were, Sarah, what you talked about, just about how you are so in Leah's head through that mm-hmm. whole book. And at times I felt trapped in her head as much as she was trapped because Anderson does such a good job of conveying this almost circular. It's just like she just over and over and just this repetition 
of her feelings and thoughts. And I just really appreciated this. It's not a spoiler to say that Cassie at the beginning of the book has died Mm -hmm. and watching Leah, they, they had stopped being friends before her death, but watching her struggle to recover from Cassie's death and to reckon with what they meant to each other and the way that they had been so strong for each other and yet had also been the other's greatest weakness, that they had really been a negative influence on each other. It it was such a fascinating relationship and just really... Yeah, I, you just felt the desperation mm-hmm. in it. And I also have to say that I thought her parents, it was so difficult to see how easily Leah manipulated them at times and played them off of each other. And I had, I agreed that they went about it the wrong way, but I had such empathy because I think each of the three approaches Leah and her eating disorder in very different ways. And yet not one of them quite hits it right, even though each is trying something quite different and they're all trying to do the right thing and I just had such empathy with their helplessness and their inability to figure out what it was going to take to be able to help Leah so I thought it was very powerful and again that was my first time through and it it had a big impact I do think anytime you go through a novel a second time yeah if if it holds up the second time those tend to be my favorite so maybe maybe next time through I would be on the Sarah side (laughs) yeah and I, I think going back to what you said Sarah about the lines like where things have been crossed out Mm -hmm. I I, that also I found that really striking as well and another thing I really liked that she uses quite a bit is the repetition of the struggle with food so there's like the part where for pages she's thinking must not eat Mm -hmm. and I think that just shows how all-consuming the battle is for her and how it's very difficult for her to do anything else Mm -hmm. when that is consuming so much and then you know even early on where she is eating something obligatory, um, she's thinking, bite, chew, swallow, again. Bite, Mm -hmm. chew, swallow, again. And I think that that shows, like what you said, Jen, I mean, just that you're in her head and you're then better able to understand, if you haven't experienced that yourself, what that can feel like and how all-consuming it can be for the person who is in it. Yeah, so I think that is really powerful. I'm putting, we'll put in show notes again, another pairing. I I don't know about this for teachers, but I will say Portia de Rossi's Unbearable Lightness is a memoir in which she confronts her eating disorder. And that was the first thing I'd read of it sort, but it had that same sort of thing that just you see the painful accounting of every bite and every calorie and yeah, just being all consumed by obsession over this consumption and controlling it. Um, so that, I, that would be a good read-alike. But again, I'm not sure about that one in a classroom. So, Yeah, and I I think that the added layer of this one that's different than any, and like Sarah said, I think that there are more coming out that address mm-hmm. eating disorders and representation of people struggling with that. But I also felt like the added layer here is the role of grief and of mm-hmm. guilt. Yeah. And yeah. that that is such a major part of the book that is a whole different, issue mm-hmm. that also is going unsupported it feels like um and like you said Jen I mean I think I feel empathy for the adults in the situation but I also feel the struggle of her being of Leah being so alone in what she's facing mm-hmm. and I think you know her 
not telling people a lot of what's going on is typical Mm -hmm. of teens. And so, you know, how do we find the way to reach people when that's the situation? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you all have anything you want to add before we wrap up? The only thing I could think of is, and that you all might also have something to comment on, is that I think that Lori Hall's Anderson's just the body of work we talked about today would lend itself really well to a social issues mm-hmm. lit circle. Mm-hmm. The things that you would have to be aware of are trigger things that are triggering for people, and um, that some things might just be too much for mm-hmm. some students. But I think that you could really have a really powerful mm-hmm. discussion yeah. on some social issues that are face that face teens all the time but do you all have anything to add to that i mean i just think we have spoken to (laughs) how masterful she is Mm -hmm. and how i just appreciate authors like her so much because she is paving the way for us to have conversations by giving us resources that can springboard those important conversations with people which i think Mm -hmm. is phenomenal so Well, thank you all for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed this discussion on the magnificent work of Lori Hulse Anderson. Before we wrap up, we just wanted to remind you to rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. That helps so much. And also be on the lookout for our Speak Teacher's Guide coming soon to our website and a link over to our Teachers Pay Teachers store. Thanks for listening. Do you have comments or opinions about what you heard today? We would love to hear them. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher, on Instagram and Twitter at UnabridgedPod, or on the web at UnabridgedPod.com, or on our Patreon page. We'd like to thank Jared Featherstone, who composed our theme music, Strings of Light. Many thanks to Katie Amy of Amy Photography, our podcast photographer, and Tim Rieger, our videographer. Thanks for listening to Unabridged. <laughs>